Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I am Zach, and guess who I'm hanging out with again? For change. Wow, it's so different. Uh, it's Randy. It's Randy, my boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are on part two of uh, sort of the problem of pain. You know, that was... Problem of evil in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, if there's a good God, uh, he can't be uh, all, powerful. all powerful. And if there is an all power, if he is all powerful, he can't be good. You know, it's addressing that question. All because evil exists. All because evil exists. Because in our mind, anything that makes me unhappy, that must not be what God wants for me. God wants me to be happy. Isn't that so funny and selfish? And you know, <laughs> that's the core of the problem. We think everything revolves around us. And guess what? <laughs> it doesn't. Well, it's just really funny because, like, all things would point to the fact that no- nothing revolves around us. And yet we are still entirely convinced yeah. on some level that it does. Um, Maybe it's because we want it to. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because we spend all of our time up here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, there's definitely and, more to it than that. And, <laughs> and, I mean, just look at TV. We spend our time in front of a television and... Television tells us that it's all about us. Uh, television tells you it's all about you. Your social media news feed is all nope. tailored for you. Right. The news that you even get is is meant to to be something that will affect you either positively or negatively as long as you engage. Right? That's right. That's right. It's uh, it's mind blowing. Yeah. It's all tailored around you, but that's the world of advertisement, right? Right. And and that's the world that we live in, and so as a result, that bleeds over into our. Uh, impression of what God must want for us to. Right. It really must be all about us. Jesus came to die for me. He is my personal Savior. I struggle and I'm, with that. I'm certainly not saying that he's not, but it just feeds that it's about you, it's about me. I have to remind you. myself, like, when I pray, like, I, <laughs> I'm i so, like, in a, a sink where, like, I, uh, I, like, go to this place of, like, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. but wait, like he died for he died everyone, for right? He died for her, he right? Died. It's so hard to like deprogram, you yeah, know? It is, it is, it is. But last week we talked, or sorry, last podcast, it was really yesterday. Just a little insider information. We're doing like two back to back because we're animals like that. But you're going to hear it like a week apart, so that's yeah. great. Um, but last episode, we talked about C.S. Lewis's right. take on that question. Right. Um, today, we're talking about N.T. Wright. So N.T. Wright is, he's actually a bishop. He's I didn't know that. bishop of, well, I don't know where he is, but uh, someplace in England. He's part of the Anglican Church. Uh, he would not identify himself as an evangelical, but it's because he identifies himself as an Anglican. So uh, he is certainly not anti-evangelical. It just, you know. Didn't you say C.S. Lewis was Anglican as well? So, yeah, he was. He oh, was. there's just all the heavy hitters on the They subject, are, apparently. at least in, in this topic. So Wright, what I love about Wright is he gets caught between the academic world and the practical world. Uh, he spent a lot of time in academia. He was uh, a, a teacher, uh, uh, a professor, a writer, has written several very, very key books. He's been uh, the father of a couple of current movements, very conservative in his approach to scripture, uh, but very um, avant-garde when it comes to traditional interpretation of Scripture. Hmm. Uh, he will look at Scripture and he tries to apply what he's learned also of the world that Scripture occurs in to his understanding of Scripture. Which is and really it's interesting because isn't the Anglican Church kind of like the Protestant high church? Yeah, yeah. That'd be a good description of it. Well, that's just, I mean... You would feel like that would be not a lot of room for being avant-garde about approach. And yet, there he is. Yeah, I like that. So he's caught between academia and kind of the real world. He left academia. He resigned all of his teaching posts. 
And he became, I remember reading an article in Christianity Today written about him, and he said, uh, you can interview me, but you have to come to my church. So he showed up at 7 o'clock in the morning for morning prayer at his church. There was one church attender who was attending, and Wright stood up and led a service for one person who was there because that was his congregation at that point in time. Had their interview, and he went his merry, the writer went his merry way, and uh, uh, Wright went back to attending to his congregation, which was a lot more than one person, but there just happened to be only one person there that morning. But it's the being caught between the world of books and the world of life that I love about Wright. I find that some of the best theologians are the ones who struggle to know where they really fit. Do they fit in the church or do they fit in the classroom? Right. And they kind of fit in both and don't fit in either. Well, so I wouldn't, I am a theologian by no matter, by no means, but uh, like being in school, I see that. I see that there are people that it feels like they've never lived in reality. Right. That they live in books. They live in the, yeah. the, the world of school. And then I see the flip side of that where it's like, no, this guy's a missionary and he's teaching this course That's online. Right. You know what I mean? Like, It's certainly not an ivory tower. Right. I've, I've dealt with both sides of it. And the way you deal with both of those people is entirely different. It's <laughs> mind-blowing. So, right, a couple of years ago, I think twenty. 20- 12 is when he put out this book, uh, uh, InterVarsity Press, and it was actually 2006. It's after 9-11, so it's very uh, contemporary, very modern. It deals with post-modernity as well as the problem of evil in the world. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot more up-to-date than Lewis. There's less that we have to kind of interpret and apply to ourselves from an 80-year-old book. This is a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old book. And much of what he writes about, we can still remember and we are still living it. Okay. Now, he takes a very different approach. Lewis, uh, you know, I I think essentially writes uh, in Great Britain just before World War II Lewis had a national platform. He actually had a radio show. And uh, his book, Mere Christianity, is simply a transcription of uh, his radio show, which was Mm kind of like an airwave podcast. Right, right. And millions, literally millions of people would tune in to hear the next chapter. And eventually they turned that into the book, Mere Christianity, which is a wonderful book, by the way. So it started with him dealing with the problem of evil. Now, I don't know if the problem of pain as a book came from the radio uh, broadcast. I don't think it did. Okay. I, it, it was just kind of separate. It might have been the reason why he was given a radio Don't show. quote me on that. But right. right. Uh, I, I think you're probably right. But the issue is Lewis was writing not for the church. Lewis was writing for England. Right. Because they were going into, they were facing down evil personified in Nazi Germany. Um, Wright is writing for the church. He's writing so that Christians can get a better grasp of their understanding of evil and what God does about evil. So Lewis starts from a logical background. Wright starts from the Bible. And one of the first things he says is that when we come to look at the problem of evil, generally we ask two questions. We ask what? No, we ask why and how. Uh, the how question is how does even evil even come to exist? Mm-hmm. Um, and the why question is typically why me, why now? Right, And he says, the Bible doesn't answer either one of those. Now, you might take exception with the uh, how, because there are some indications in Scripture of how evil uh, comes to take place. But what you don't get 
is uh, if if evil comes from the fall of Satan, what was going through Satan's mind that caused him to fall? Right. That you don't get. You simply get that there was pride, uh, that there was a desire to be God, and as a result, Satan falls and then brings mankind down with him. I would argue, too, that I, I do think there is biblical evidence of the why me question, but not your personal case. Like, right. more on a broad-scale humanity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, so yeah. it does get to the why. And I think that's kind of what Lewis touches on. This is yeah. more about personal, like, Exactly. You. Right. Wright goes on to say that the questions that God does answer are the more practical questions. What and when? What does God do about evil and when does he do it? And when it boils right down to it, you know, the question of how and why are not really the important questions. The important question is, what is God going to do about the evil in my life? Right. And when does that start? Those are key questions that we're looking for answers to. Even if they're not where we start to look for answers. We start with the why question. Why me? Why now? Hmm. So, should we tear into it? Let's do it. All righty. All righty. So, um, Wright's book has five chapters. It's a very easy read. Well, I wouldn't say it's easy. It is understandable. <laughs> okay. That is a big but difference. It's a, it's a tough read because of uh, what he's talking about. But uh, he starts out, he, he, just, he makes some comments about things like 9-11 and what's going on in the world. And then he defines, he calls it the new problem of evil. And... Um, he restates what Lewis stated. If, if God is good, he can't be all-powerful. If God is all-powerful, he can't be good because evil exists. And he does it in a much more postmodern way and uh, actually uh, quotes uh, some postmodernists. And, and especially he is, I mean, he is widely read. He, he quotes other authors and and paintings and, and literature that kind of describe the, the problem of evil. And, and it's just fascinating to see everything that this guy understands. But he comes back and he makes three statements about the new problem of evil. The first statement is, I think, very true. We ignore evil until it hits us in the face. For sure. Now, you've been talking to me about this. Uh, um, I heard you just the other day talking to a, a, to, to a fellow, and it sounded like you were describing the Holocaust, but you weren't. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I just, I've been under the impression uh, from the way I talk to some people that they don't, th- and this isn't like a few people, this is like a lot of people that I talk to. I just get the impression that they don't think anything like massively bad could happen in the world anymore. Right. Like that like we're just like we're at a different time now. Right. We've we've reached this new level of consciousness that like and it's not like crazy that they would feel that way. Like right. everything around us kind of wants you to feel that way, right? Yeah. But I mean <laughs> I I just walked up and I said, "Do you think um a group of people could convince um you know, their, their entire nation and uh, part of the rest of the world that another group of people is entirely wicked and that the, they need to go and they need to do something about it and they need to put them into camps and separate them from everybody else and they need to get rid of them because they are so evil and wrong that, that they just can't exist anymore. And so then they do and they murder millions of these people. And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, it happened... 70 years ago, or 80 years ago, I said 70, but it was 80 right. years ago, I said right. it was the Holocaust. And that is the Holocaust. Right, and I said, but the crazy thing is, like, it's literally happening now in China. And if you look at it, I mean, it's happened other times as well. Oh, it's, yeah. I'm, Mass genocide's nothing new. Absolutely. Um, uh, Rwanda. Right. Uh, you have that. 
you have the American Andrew Jackson Trail of Tears taking the Cherokee Nation oh, yeah. and putting them in an internment camp in Oklahoma. Essentially, that's what it was. That's what was being done. It, it's it's pretty insane to think like like we, we don't even talk about those kind of things no. though. Like Trail of Tears probably gets a couple paragraphs in a history book, and then you're you're moving on. To and something then you're else, done. You but know. half the Cherokee Nation died right. on this horrible trek. Right. Uh, you get the the death march in the Philippines in World War Two, and the Uyghurs in China is what you end up. Right. Talking about, which is going on today. But that's scary. And we to me. don't talk it, about it. Exactly. Like, it, it's really scary how that is happening right now. And, I mean, they're, they're Muslim people. We, we disagree with their religion. Right, right. But they but it's not deserve about to disagreement. live. They deserve right. to live. Like, it's, it's about evil. Exactly. Evil exists. But we ignore it until it hits us in the face when we get cancer. Mm hmm. Or when um, someone is killed in an accident. Or, you know, just two little girls are murdered on the Monon Trail. Did you that know, happen? It, oh, yeah. When? Recently? No, no this was uh, the, the two little girls from a couple of years ago. It's still an unsolved case. Oh, oh was that the Delphi? The Delphi. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that was the Monon. Yeah, yeah it's the Monon Trail. I didn't Trail, know that. Up there. Up oh, okay, there. I did yeah. not know that. Um... Yeah, I mean, those things happen, and all of a sudden, it's evil, and we're concerned about it. But we don't we don't talk about the Uyghurs. Uh, we don't talk about other evil in the world that's currently going on. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things. Like we're we're more caught up on. What celebrity sleeping with what celebrity? Like you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's like if you look at at your YouTube newsfeed, I don't care about that stuff at all. Right. I don't care. Right. I don't engage right. with it. Right. And they still, and it's still are right. shoving it at right. me because right. right. they want me to watch it. And I'm like, TMZ. Right? Why? Why do you think I care about this? The second thing that Wright says, which again I think is absolutely true, is that when evil hits us in the face, it surprises us. Oh, you know, how could this be? Yeah. And yet it's constantly, constantly going on. Right. Like, it's not like evil is this thing that, like, ebbs and flows. No. It's a steady stream. It is there all the time if we are just willing to open our eyes and see it. Mm. Now, the third thing, I think, is the really crucial thing that he talks about and he comes back to that time and time again throughout the book he talks about the human tendency to look at society and draw a line down the middle of society and say they are evil we are good 9-11 came and um, I'm not saying this is good bad or indifferent but it is a human characteristic. President Bush at that time began talking about the axis of evil mm -hmm. and actually named them. And he put, I think, four nations in the axis of evil and said the rest of us need to do something about that. What was happening was that one of those nations that he put in the axis of evil was looking at us and did what they did because they saw us as the axis of evil. The World Trade Center towers were, were uh, uh, sabotaged. They were, they were attacked because it was an attempt on the part of Al-Qaeda to destroy the evil of the United States right. that was encroaching on their pure religion. Right. So you have both sides sitting across that line, looking across the line saying, you're evil. No, you're evil. No, 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 I'm good. No, I'm good. Wright says, according to Scripture, the line of good and evil isn't drawn through society. It runs through each one of us. Each one of us has good. Each one of us 
has evil. And a large part of scripture is dedicated to trying to help us understand the evil that exists in us and what we need to do about that evil. Okay. So what does he get right into that solution? No. Okay. Where, no, where's he not, take us not, next? Not not immediately. He he uh let's that kind of sit there and let's it kind of sink in. He he goes in a little bit deeper. He talks about some of the irresponsible ways that we deal with evil when it does surprise us. He says, typically, we do one of two things. We either point the finger and say it's their fault. And indeed, that's, that's what we as North America did. We said it's their fault. We're going to go out and we're, we're going to find Al-Qaeda. We're going to kill them. Um, because that's what you do with evil. You exterminate it. But he said the other irresponsible way of dealing with it is to internalize it and say, well, it was my fault. And just take the blame. And again, both don't deal with the actual problem of evil that exists. Right. Maybe a more responsible way would have been for us to say, okay, what is it that we have done that has caused this kind of a reaction in the world? Uh, do we need to evaluate ourselves? Do we need to modify what we are doing in the world? Now, certainly evil does need to be found. It does need to be identified. And it does need to be exterminated. But that line of evil runs down the middle of us, too. We can't just say, I'm going to exterminate the evil that I see in you and think that I've dealt with the problem if the evil also exists within me. Jesus always has a tendency of bringing things back to the heart of the issue. He does. And he often does that by pointing back to the garden, right? Yeah. And like the, the perfect plan for things. When you say pushing the blame off on somebody else, I think of Adam and Eve. The God comes to Adam and he says, you know, what have you done? And he's like, oh, it wasn't me, it was her. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> she did. She it's did. this immediate thing. And, so and he goes to Eve and she says, snake did it, snake did it. <laughs> right. And so I'm wondering, though, is there a representation in the garden of internalizing it. Oh, boy, yeah. I, <clears throat> I think it really is there. I mean, you see so much in Genesis 2 and 3. Um, in Genesis 3, the first sin, it's the, the sin of pride, man thinking that he can become God. Sin of selfishness. I want to do it on my timetable, not God's table, timetable. Then you get the separation from God, the separation of Adam and Eve from each other, separation of mankind and the, and the environment, the world that he lives in. And you get man's first response to God's truthful statement of, you have done evil, one me, one my fault. Right, but I'm saying that you said that the flip side of that is the, to, to kind of take responsibility. Mm. And I'm wondering if that's present too, because that also doesn't deal with it, like you said. Right. Do you see it there? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess you can kind of see it in like maybe Cain and Abel taking their sacrifices. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, I guess that would be the sacrificial system, though, right? In a way. Yeah. It's saying like, yeah, I did this. Now I'm going to go do this thing. It works. Yeah. It works. Yeah. 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 Okay. And there, it's internalized. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, Wright goes on and he talks about postmodernity. And one of the things that he says there is that postmoderns, uh, typically millennials, Gen, Gen Z, will tend to look at evil and say it's horrible and there's nothing we can do about it. It's just there. It's, it's our reality. So why try? Uh, we've just got to find a way to live with it. Now, I don't know. Do you feel that that's accurate? Is that is our postmoderns more um, what's the right word uh, jaded in that sense? Uh, yeah, but at the same time, no. Which is once again the the kerfluffle of New Ageism uh, <clears throat> or just postmodern view. That yeah, well, we'll I, I feel like in some senses I even look at the world and I'm like. 
well, there's nothing I can really do about it. Like, I, it's so big. It's such a big problem. Yeah. And I'm just a person. And, yeah, I do believe Christ is taking care of that, right? Right. That's the right, difference. Right, right, But then... But think, you have a different viewpoint. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I do get where they're coming from with that. <clears throat> At the same time, though, those same people who would say, yeah, there's nothing we can really do about it uh, are the same people marching in the streets saying, you know... No justice, no. Uh, right, w- right, w- right. What is right. the the end of that? No justice, no peace. Is that something it? like that? But, yeah. And, and it's like so. Like obviously, obviously, everybody believes in justice because we're made in the image of God. Everybody believes in in a a better way. Yeah. And whether or not they'd admit it, they just do. You know, like it's it's weird. It's it's innate. And typically, the better way is my way. Right. Well, that's you got to learn to be more like me. Well, that's just it, though. You know, a, a lot of these, a lot of people just assume that everybody's on board with them on what is right. And it's like if you go to different cultures, everybody sees what's right as different. Yeah. It's it's not the same. I mean, in Germany, the Holocaust was okay. It was right. It was right. Yeah. Everywhere else, we're going, hey, that's not okay. That's you not know? okay. Or slavery, you know? Like, right. he, here at the time, that was fine. We said that was fine. That's right. And, and, it, and it wasn't fine. Right. Um, and other people elsewhere saw it that way. The slaves saw it that way. You know, like, it's just our version of right and wrong isn't right yeah. or wrong. Like, we, we've got we've to find that from somewhere else. Well, and that's, that's one of the things that, that kind of separates Christianity from... Uh, other approaches to the issue. Ultimately, what we do is when we look at right and wrong, we say, hey, it's not what I think. It's what God thinks. Right. And ultimately, when we say that, we're saying, and I'm not totally sure that I have it right, but I think I have it right. I'm acting on what I believe, but I leave the door open that I might be wrong and I might learn something new as we talk about this and try to work our way through it. Explain what you mean by that. You're not, you're not saying that what God has said is wrong. No, no, no. I'm saying that my understanding of what God has said might be wrong. Okay, so your interpretation my of My interpretation God's... of what God is saying might be wrong. I might not have all of the information. And as we try to work through this, you might help me see a new facet of what God has said. If that's the and importance it might of learning. Modify, exactly. It's the, it's the importance of learning. It's the importance of dialogue. It's the importance of trying to work through the problem of evil in a community. For sure. Yeah. Which, just which takes own. communication. It does. Right. So the next chapter, um, Wright goes on to talk about what does God do about evil. And uh, this chapter, he really focuses more on the Old Testament and on the way God began uh, a story of um, dealing with evil in the Old Testament. He gave man covenants. And the point of the Old Testament is to show how people tried to live according to God's covenant and they did, but the line of evil runs through each person. And they did a lot of things good, and they really messed some things up. Starts all the way from Noah, uh, who he obeys God, and he survives the flood. And then he makes a vineyard, gets drunk, and does unspeakable things with his children. Um, then... You have uh, Abraham, and Abraham, he hears God. He does what God asks him to do, does incredible things, and then he visits neighbors, and he tells his wife, tell them you're my sister because you're still so pretty. I'm, I'm afraid that they're going to kill me to take you. And he does it not once, but twice. I was going to say, he doesn't just do it once. Right. It's, I mean... <laughs> After he he does it the first time and God says, that was stupid, he does it again. <laughs> he hasn't learned a thing because that line of evil still runs down through him. And 
all the way through Scripture, that's what you see time and time and time again. There are very few characters that there is nothing, that there is only good said about them. And there are a few. Daniel is one. And then there's, just, a couple, there's a couple kings in the book of Kings. Like, is it? Yeah, yeah. But, but like we get this much story. Exactly. You know, like, and, and typically, typically... It's yeah, he did a lot of good and he's he was he was God's friend and he was a man after God's heart and here's where he messed up and man did he ever mess up mm-hmm. and people paid because he messed up. And it it's it's not a few. It's mm, the vast very majority. consistent. Yeah. So that's kind of the second chapter. It's just right saying that, uh, that this line of evil is a very personal line. It's not that we can sit back and say, there's evil over there, we've got to deal with that evil. And because I am good, I get to do it. Oh no. It's us looking at our own lives and saying, here's evil in me. God wants me to do something about that evil. Now, he calls me to do something about the evil that's out there as well, but I can't do that without dealing with this also. Okay. Um, But it's not really us that does anything about it in the first place, right? And that's the third chapter. Right. Okay. So what Wright says in the third chapter, it, it, it comes down to the crucifixion. Uh the crucifixion is God's uh, response to the problem of evil. Now, you've told me about this TV show called The Chosen, mm-hmm. and I was watching an episode a, a week or so ago, and uh, Jesus and his disciples head into Jerusalem, and on the way they pass a man being crucified, which was fairly common. Right. And Jesus stops and just stares. And I never thought of that before. But, wow. Jesus goes into the crucifixion knowing what it was, knowing the horror, knowing everything about it. Jesus went into the crucifixion being the only truly good man in which there was no evil who ever lived on the face of the earth. Even in the Old Testament... Guys and gals like Daniel, like Deborah, that nothing bad is ever said about them, you know that it's there because right. it's everywhere else. And it's not even like through the narrative of the Bible, it's not even really attempted to make you think otherwise. Right. It's like for the story being told. Right. Yeah, he's our good guy. But at the end of the day, like there is still this need for salvation. Absolutely. And had they been good... That wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be there, <laughs> right. So there you get Jesus, the only good man who ever existed, who pays the price for our evil. It is God's solution for the problem of evil. And if you look at what Jesus does on the cross, what Paul says Jesus does, and what the book of Revelation says that Jesus does on the cross, he defeats evil on the cross. He defeats death, which is introduced in the world because of evil. He defeats evil itself. It is God's ultimate provision of forgiveness for the evil that's present in the world. Okay. So Wright says that what God does is he responds to the question, what is God going to do about evil by first of all showing that this is not going to be a human solution. Man is never going to solve that problem by himself. Okay. It takes Jesus. Jesus comes and dies on the cross. And so maybe maybe it's necessary to plug this in here, and I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but like what about Christ dying on the cross saved mankind? Well, that's a deep question. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. if we could do the Spark Notes version. 
<laughs> I don't even know if Spark Notes is still a thing. Probably, probably. It was Cliff Notes back when I was in school. But everybody's got them. Okay. So, okay. Um, there are five different approaches to uh, what Jesus did on the cross is atonement. He atoned for our sins. Right. There are five different views of atonement, of which four are probably all valid. They're not mutually exclusive. Part of it is substitutionary atonement. Christ died in our place. Mm-hmm. So uh, because of evil, someone needed to be punished. Christ took that punishment on himself. A second is there was a ransom. Um, uh, in, in essence, uh, the devil said, mankind owes me because mankind has followed me. And uh, Jesus comes and ransoms us from the devil's grasp. Okay. There is a redemption that takes place. Uh, the Old Testament has a lot of laws about the Redeemer. and The Redeemer is one who would come when... A member of his family was completely and totally helpless, whether that was economically helpless, physically helpless, or in whatever situation. The Redeemer would come and bring them back to safety. And there is redemption uh, terminology that's used in the New Testament revolving around Christ. And then there is also uh, the element of uh, an, an example Christ sacrificed himself for us and calls us to sacrifice ourselves for others. So those four elements are all present in the crucifixion. They all have some level of validity. No single one of them really summarizes everything. I think it takes all four, and there's probably things that we're missing there. Hmm. Okay. So that's the, that's the Sparks version. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, eschatologically, um, at the end of times, death and evil is completely destroyed. Right. And I noticed, so you said Jesus defeated them on the cross. Right. But he didn't do away with them. But he didn't do away with them. No, they still are there. It's really, the way I look at the cross is it's that moment where Christ takes his authority over all of heaven and earth. Mm Mm-hmm. Where he basically has proven who he is. Now, in Heiser's approach, mankind rebelled against God. Mankind fell, sinned against God. And as a result, God took the heavenly council and he divided the world up among different ones of the members of his heavenly council with the instructions that they are to bring mankind back to himself. But they don't. Right. Uh, the heavenly council goes out and perverts man into worshiping themselves. Which would explain all of the gods of all the other nations. Except for Israel. That God says, this is my portion. This is my And it starts with one man. And it starts with one man. Who's barren. <laughs> right, right, right. Who yeah. has no children. Right. And he's... Is he already 120? He's, he's at old. least 80, he's but old. whether he's 80 or 120 doesn't matter because that's old enough. Right, right. <laughs> um, and that's one back when Jesus brings it all back. Right. But even though he has resubmitted everything under his own authority, right. the world doesn't live like that. And that's right. kind of where we're at right now. But but that's so, so that's kind of the idea, though, is that now Jesus has reclaimed the entire earth as right. his own. He's taken it back from what, the powers that be. It's his now. All of it. Um, and, and legally so. But we still rebel. Exactly. <laughs> like, we, he doesn't force us. Right. 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 But a day will come, and this is the fourth chapter, a new heaven and a new earth. And it's interesting uh, it, 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 it fits very neatly into uh, the package that Scripture presents, and we struggle with understanding because we say that when we die, we go and we live somewhere else. We go and live in heaven. We are taken out of this world, and that's not what Scripture says. Scripture right. says the world is recreated. The original purpose of the world 
becomes fulfilled. Back when it was good. Back when it was good. Right. I can't wait to plant my garden and know that no weeds are going to grow up in it. And that you won't be tired from the work. And exactly. You'll enjoy the work. I'll enjoy <laughs> it and, and enjoy the fruits. And there will be enough for everybody. And right. It'll be different. Right. Now, what what the final chapter is where Wright brings it back to the basic question. Okay, what about when evil hits me in the face? What do I need to do? And uh, he talks about three different people, uh, three different books that have been very, very key. We've talked about this in a podcast before. Uh, the basic concept is forgiveness. Um, somehow we need to find a way to forgive the evil that is done to us. Sometimes the evil is indiscriminate. I get cancer. Nobody gave me the cancer. But it's still an evil. Right. He refers to a fellow named Miroslav Volf, who comes from Serbia. And Wolf wrote a book. He's a theologian. And um, he wrote a book a while ago. But uh, it was during the Serbian War. And uh, Wright says that he was kind of chided by some of his theologian friends who were saying, what are you going to do with what's going on in your country? How are you going to deal with it? And he struggled with that. And he wrote a book that he calls Exclusion and Embrace. In exclusion, what he's saying is that evil must be clearly identified. It must be named. We must identify what it is, name it for what it is. And the second part of that is embrace. Then we forgive and embrace the reality that we live in. I don't know if I can find uh, some of these quotes really quickly, but uh, they're, they're, um, well, yeah, just at the beginning of the fifth chapter, he says, uh, this brings us now in this fifth and final chapter to the question which lies at the center of it all. Deliver us from evil, we pray again and again in the Lord's Prayer. How will this deliverance happen? So he summarizes Volf's argument as this. Whether we are dealing with international relations or one-on-one personal relations, evil must be named and confronted. That's what he means by exclusion. We identify what it is that's taking place and who it is that's doing it. Then there can be a second movement toward embrace. The embrace of the one who has deeply hurt or wounded us or me. That embrace is forgiveness. The fact is that when we forgive someone, we not only release them from the burden of our anger, and its possible consequences. We release ourselves from the burden of whatever it was they had done to us and from the crippled emotional state in which we shall go on living if we don't forgive them and instead cling to our anger and bitterness. Forgiveness then, including God's forgiveness of us, Our forgiveness of one another and our forgiveness even of ourselves is a central part of deliverance from evil. That's kind of what I was thinking that whole time while you were reading that, like how hard it is. I know for me personally, when I look like back in my past, for me to forgive myself. um, And I think other, I think other people struggle with that too, but that's, uh, it's, it's almost like if, if God sees something in you worth forgiving, then you should probably see something worth forgiving too, you know? (laughs) Exactly. So, so in a case where someone has done something to us, this is pretty understandable. Uh We need to identify what it is, identify who has done it. Um, 
there are consequences for their action. But those consequences don't necessarily have to come from us. We somehow, in some way, have to find the ability to forgive. Again, that's not a human thing. That is only a divine thing. That can only be done through the cross. It can only be done literally through Jesus forgiving them through us. But what about when it's something that's not an intentional act that's done to me? It's not someone who came and stole my iPad. It's not someone who came and punched me in the nose. I get cancer. And what do I do about that? I think what Wright is saying is that, okay, we identify the evil. Evil exists in the world because man fell. Now, this is not the cancer that I get today is not God's punishment for uh, 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 me stealing candy bar when I was eight. Yeah, it's not karma. Evil exists because sin exists. And it's not necessarily my evil. It's it's not, excuse me, it's not necessarily my sin. It's there is sin that has brought this about. We identify that. Cancer exists because the world has fallen. There is still an embrace that needs to take place. That embraces God has allowed this to happen, what do I do about it? How do I approach it? Um, It is evil. It's horrible what's happening. But somehow I have to reconcile that with my love for God and my recognition that God loves me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of takes me back to Job again. We talked about Job last time. Um, That's sort of back where it's at now. I mean, it's sort of like, this is how it is. I don't have to understand it. Probably won't. Probably won't. Probably won't, right. I have to have faith that God is who he says he is, and who he says he is is good, right? And that... um, It will not shake my faith in God. It can't shake your faith in God. In fact, it it should point you to the fact that he is fixing this. That this yeah. has been fixed, and there's coming a day when it's going to never be this way again. When I grew up, there was a, uh, there was a popular um, teaching segment uh, called Basic... Uh, basic youth basic Christian belief I forget what it was but a a particular fellow was uh, teaching it and one of the things that it said was that um, God uh, when you have a problem when you have an evil that arises in your life uh, pray God will either show you how to remove it or he will teach you why it is that you have it Okay, that makes sense. That worked a lot. But through my life, I've found times that neither did God remove it, nor did I understand why it was taking place. It wasn't helping me grow spiritually, and I struggled with that for a while. I eventually became convinced that there must be a third category out there. That third category is sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it is just God encouraging you to continue to stay close to him. And this is the way life is taking place now. I was uh, listening to that Frank Turek guy, um, and he, he was talking about the question somebody raised was like, you know, why does God let bad things happen? You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he was talking about the ripple effect. And he was saying sometimes, how, like, how do we know that the bad happening to us right now 
doesn't have to take place for something good to happen down the line somewhere. Exactly. And how do we know that somebody else's sin, I mean, hasn't rippled into our life? You know, like, yep. I mean, it's just, there's so many ways of looking at it. Yeah. Um, it that's a good it's, image. It's bigger that's than us. That's a good us. image, yeah. It's bigger than us. It's the butterfly effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's Wright's approach to the question of evil. I like it. Yeah. It's more personal. He doesn't answer the questions that we inevitably start with. Why me? He just starts off by saying, I don't know. Wrong You're not going to find that. Yeah, wrong question. question is, what's God doing about it? And the answer is, he sent Jesus to die for you and to die for this particular evil. You've got to name it. You've got to deal with it. You've got to embrace it. Embrace it means forgive it. It also means, in some cases, correcting it, changing it. If it can be changed, there is a call to change. Uh, Wright spends a good bit of the book talking about corporate evil as well as individual evil. Yeah, there are... Uh, somebody steals my iPad, that's bad. That's an evil that happened to me. I, I, I need to deal with that. But there are also nations who enslave and uh, um, subdue other nations. It's got to be dealt with, too. It's, that's a greater corporate evil. And I can't necessarily change that, but there are things that I can do that will influence that. And I need to be serious about evil. And for those of you that might be listening who have a hard time just settling on, oh, okay, well, I'm just not supposed to try and understand because it's bigger than me. Right. You do it every day. Like, I'm going to go ahead and guess most of you don't have physics doctorates or that you don't understand quantum theory or that you know like like there are things out there so big that even the people that are experts in them don't fully understand them right god is saying this is bigger than that this is so big none of you are ever going to start to wrap your head around it right you're just going to have to trust the one guy that does know how to do it that's right that's right that's i don't know so we do what we can and trust god for the rest right yeah You've got a very immediate sphere of influence around you. This has been a thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. Everybody, I work in a barbershop, and everybody wants to like talk politics or whatever. And it's just like, you know, I'm just kind of to this point where it's like, I don't even know what information I'm hearing is true. What I do know is that I have an immediate sphere of influence around me. Yeah. And I can choose to forgive people that hurt me. And I can choose to love people. And I can choose, you know, like, I, I, I get to pick what I do. In, in my immediate sphere of influence. And I think we should all just try operating like that a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Maybe your sphere of influence is pretty big, you know? I don't know. Maybe you can change the world. You know, uh, I think <clears throat> all of us have a lot more influence than we think we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like N.T. Wright. I've got a course by him, I think, that we have to complete. Oh, yeah. yeah I've got that, too. <laughs> It's good. I've started it. Good. I need to check it out. Uh, Thank you for listening to Salty Saints Podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, give us a comment, a like, a subscription, whatever, if you're on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever. Um, If you've got questions, send them to questions at becomehope.com or saltysaints at becomehope.com. And until next time, stay salty. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.